welcome to a very special edition of our Is Anyone Listening podcast, recorded live in front of an audience at our focus day at the York Festival of Ideas. I'm Claire Malcolm, I'm the Chief Executive of New Writing North, which looks to support writing and reading in the north of England. We're joined today by a fantastic panel of speakers discussing how storytelling and the media can look to tell a new story and change the narrative of poverty in the UK. On the panel, we have journalist and documentary maker Billy J.D. Porter, Kerry Hudson, author of the recently published Lowborn, writers Jodie Russell-Red, Sean Wilson and Chris McCrudden, who were involved in the Common People Anthology of Working Class Writing, and Wale Shitu, who is going to talk about his film, his film Council in Me, which explores life on council estates and other challenging stereotypes. So, as you see, a really interesting panel. We've got lots of different things to talk about around this issue, but we'll begin by hearing from everyone. So, do you want to set us off? Sure, sure. Okay, I'm back up here. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, welcome back to those of you who endured my last keynote where I presented the audience with a slide of chips. Um, and hello to those of you who are newly joining us for this part of the day. So um, one of the things that I want to be talking about, and I think that it's going to be one of the focuses throughout the rest of this afternoon, is uh, the role that the media plays in the stigmatisation of people living in poverty. So everything from print press, film, TV, online content, both scripted and unscripted, has a huge part to play in this. There are a number of very worrisome things at play. The lack of authentic, unpatronising representations of those in working class backgrounds on TV. The misguided news angles on coverage around UK poverty, as well as the shocking and quite revolting lack of diversity in the workforce itself, which is producing all of this content that the country consumes. I'm going to dive into all of this doom and gloom very shortly, but uh, I do just want to point out that I feel like we're on the verge of a really long overdue turning point here. Just the fact that we're all in this room having this conversation means that people are waking up to the reality of how twisted the poverty narrative is here in Britain and realising that they have to do something. Storytellers here today, including myself, are demanding a change. And it's a conversation that's happening elsewhere also. I've just come here from Sheffield Dockfest, which if you haven't gone to, I highly recommend. It's one of the most magical few days wandering around in the rain. Um, but uh, one of the reasons I was there is because I was taking part in a panel uh, called Breaking the Class Ceiling. And it was about sort of... People from working class and low-income backgrounds like myself, uh, the, the barriers they face trying to enter an industry that's kind of designed to serve those from, from middle-class backgrounds. Those of you who were here before will um, have heard the, the themes that I touched on about the ways that you know, the media industry is quite easy for those who can afford to do unpaid internships, who can afford to work in contract work and not have to be chasing their invoices to make their rent, but for, for the rest of us, it can be a very, very difficult world to navigate. Um, but a lot of what was discussed was in response to these quite terrifying statistics that were published last year. Um, so this was part of a, a, a study that was released called Panic, a 
appropriately. Um, so I'll just read it out in case you guys can't see. So 12.6% of those who work in publishing are from a working class origin. 12.4% of people working in film, TV, and radio are of working class origin. And 18.2% are in music, uh, performing, and visual arts. Pretty, pretty shocking. Um, I couldn't quite believe it. Um, I wondered who would attend the talk. It was in quite a big space. I thought about the demographic of Sheffield Dockfest goers. It's a pretty diverse crowd, but it's also filled with lots of industry people, and you can see what the industry is comprised of. Uh, but it was packed. It was completely packed, and it was a really, really energetic, electric panel. We covered so much ground. There was a really, really amazing Q&A afterwards. And for the whole weekend, all of the people who sat on the panel were approached, myself included, by people saying, thank you so much for having this conversation. This conversation needs to happen now. Uh, you know, we had pe filmmakers, producers, commissioners, teachers, people from all different backgrounds who really walked away and said, I now understand how to reframe this conversation. I understand the need to diversify the media workforce. So I'm feeling optimistic. Um, and I don't just feel that because I think channels are going to start trying to meet a quota or put together the odd sort of shallow scheme to appease their audiences on a surface level. I really believe that we, the British public, are fed up of what we're seeing on our TV screens. And I think that we're in the midst of a wake-up call. We've grown up in a media culture where we watch fellow human beings get berated on national television for their circumstances, often completely beyond their control. In shows like Benefit Street, we've watched as people are publicly humiliated for being unemployed, often with no context or explanation about the various issues around mental health, addiction or social mobility that could be at play. These are complex issues and often ones that the media would much rather sweep under the rug. We read headlines where tabloid journalists report gleefully about celebrities filing for bankruptcy. It's like, we don't want people to be poor, we judge them for that, but you also don't want them to be too comfortable either. It's like there's a sort of collective sense of schadenfreude when we watch British celebrities lose everything when they've come from nothing. And in Jeremy Kyle's case, we're talking about a middle-class, university-educated man whose father was the Queen Mother's accountant for 40 years. This man, for 14 years, bullied vulnerable, more often than not very, very poor members of our society. And, and we watched, we decided to watch that for, for 14 years, roughly a million of us each episode. Now, of course, the show has been cancelled and there are a fair few very interesting think pieces that are floating around about how the hell it took us this long to realise that programming like this is utterly immoral and irresponsible. But to incite real change, we need to focus on introducing new voices into positions of power. My own experience working in the media has often been an alienating one. I would listen as some of my former colleagues at Vice magazine, who definitely viewed themselves as liberal, progressive individuals, um, sparking change, as they made you know, tasteless, off-the-cuff comments about people on benefits. And that was my reality growing up. So it was an instantaneous way of me feeling like, OK, they're not like me. I I'm the butt of these jokes. If I could 
turn back time now and call out the ignorance of everyone who I'd worked with who hasn't taken the time to understand the real impact of poverty and its emotional baggage, I would. But uh, we can take action now. And one of the most urgent and difficult mediums to wrap my head around when I consider how we frame poverty in the UK today is social media. Instagram and Facebook encourage such a materialistic mindset beyond the targeted advertising that we see every single day that completely plays on our insecurities and stalks our Google searches. The spirit of social media and the culture of performing online is hugely damaging to those who are struggling for money. We touch on it in our project Twist It work. Project Twist It is an amazing initiative in association with the Joseph Roundtree Foundation where we've been speaking to young people about their reaction and understanding to the poverty stigma in the UK. And it's been pretty, pretty eye-opening. The, the young people we spoke to told me about how seeing their peers with piles of Christmas presents under the tree on Instagram made them feel completely inadequate. And the ways that flaunting our wealth online can further highlight their own financial struggles seemed pretty obvious, but hearing a young person say that to you, you know, a few sentences after explaining that she often goes hungry because she has to feed her brothers and sisters in a very, very large family with not very much food really kind of hammered it home and made me sort of put up a mirror to my own behavior online. Do I perform? Do, do I curate my life to make it look more glamorous than it is? Yes, I, I think I do. I think that we're all a bit guilty of it. And um, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I don't have an answer or a solution, sorry. Uh, but I often raise it at events like this or speak with other journalists about it so that we can kind of tease the issue because I think that part of the reason we all dive into these platforms so much is escapism. You want the dopamine hit from the likes if you look hot in the photo, but you also want to switch off from real life. I'm confident that change is coming, but I do feel like a first step is going to be a quite painful removal of our, of our heads from the clouds. We need to tear up and throw away the last remains of poverty porn culture and tell meaningful intersectional stories about people from all backgrounds and not demonize those in hardship. Thanks. P.S. It's my birthday, so please clap and be nice. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Billy, you were talking about the Sheffield Documentary Festival mm -hmm. and the debates around, in the media world and the film media world, <clears throat> around what we're seeing and what we're not seeing. Yeah. Who were telling stories. So this is a new, is this a new wave? Are we, see, are we seeing a shifting? In God, I hope so. I hope so. I, I feel like that the programming this year really did communicate that change. Um, there were like real sort of clear intersections of different voices from from all over, um, and it just makes for such a, a, a better festival. And it, I think it's it's such a more pleasant viewing experience to feel that something's authentic. And Kerry, just following I'm following this line of thought around. Um, how unusual it is to make this kind of work. So can you tell us about how Lowborn was published or like the idea to try and get that published and if that was easy or hard? Yeah, um, so I'd already written two books set in sort of one uh, called with the ridiculous title, Tony Hogan, um, that was based on my upbringing, but very much a sort of 
you know, very much with the edges softened off. And then I'd written a second book, which was very much rooted in working class communities in Hackney and in Siberia, which I don't recommend for your difficult second novel, by the way. <laughs> it was very difficult. Um, so, I'd, so I already kind of had this background. So that was a, eight years ago my first book was published now. So I did kind of have a, a reputation for writing about these things. But when I came with my publisher, to my publisher with this proposal, I mean, they took an enormous risk because I really had, the, I think the, the little boy's gone now, so I could say it like no fucking idea how to do it. I just knew that I really wanted to, and it felt important. It felt important to me personally, and also I was seeing the most revolting, divisive narratives about poverty that I hadn't seen since the 1980s, and I really wanted to to try and challenge that. And I also knew personally I was suffering from like a lot of shame that I carried for being poor, and I felt like the only way to tackle that was to be really completely honest and open, because with silence, I think, comes a, that sort of shamefulness. Um, so, and then my publisher was just, my publisher just let me have free reign, which was mad of them, to be honest. But, um, but because they did, and they were very sensitive about the fact that it was a complicated book, because it's memoir, but also about sort of contemporary communities living in poverty. Um, they were very sensitive about allowing me as much time as I needed. So. Let's talk about poverty and representations of poverty. And this idea, Chris, that you have, that that's not the only story to tell about lives, but it is a part of lots of people's lives. And it's something that is not descri often described very well or put into a context that helps people understand it. Should we think about that, perspectives on that kind of? Well, I think something that I... Sorry if everyone's listening to me repeat myself. Um, but I was talking this morning about um, that exact thing, that, like, you know, the, the label working class, which, you know, my, my mother's side of the family, who were from Hull, my mum's the daughter of a, um, a fish foreman, they were proud of these very sort of stereotypical working class values on the focus on family, their work ethic, their sense of community, that they knew all their neighbours. And I don't think they were they were proud, not not ashamed. And then now I feel like the the term working class immediately has this sort of connotation of like, oh no, like even when I was approached to be on this panel, I was like breaking the class they're like we're approaching working class filmmakers. I was like me. Like me. I was like, okay, yeah, no, both my parents are cleaners. I grew up in a like in social housing when you know, don't have any qualifications. Oh shit, okay, yeah, maybe I am. You know, it's it's kind of it's a label that people avoid and I think that's mm -hmm. awful. I think it's awful that we don't have any representations of 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 that celebrate working class culture. There's actually um the guy that was chairing this panel works at the BFI and he just programmed um an amazing uh, sort of series of films that are all available on the BFI player, and it's called Working Class Heroes, and it's celebrating the amazing sort of like spirit of good working class characters. I just wondered if it had reached that far. Maybe we were. There was a feeling that we were at a tipping point of talking about some of this stuff, getting it right with the different narratives that are coming now. Isn't that just a way of silencing us? You know, yeah. like you're no longer working class if you have a voice or if you have agency, you're no longer working class if people are interested. And it's just a way of marginalizing us because they feel we're getting too big for our boots, I think. Well, but good means they're but, frightened. <laughs> but don't you think it's the same, that it's kind of the same narrative that emerges with um, stuff like non-white, um, author, um, author and filmmaker representation. It starts off as being, well, you're just here because it's fashionable. Mm. Um, and what 
tends to change these things is the um, is a hit that proves that there is lots and lots and lots of pent up demand for this kind of thing and the, this stuff. I think that nobody's really having nobody pe people are taking at face value that there is a lot of money to be made in. Um, and diverse representation, representation in film ever since Black Panther came out mm. and made a shed load of money. It's no longer defensible for you to go, well, no, we're just doing this because we have to do it. There is observable pent-up demand within the market that wants to see this form of representation. Yeah, I think, just being from London myself, and there's so many different cultures and walks of life in London, and I thought there's so many stories that are not told in London, but I feel people are just putting their own content out because they're not getting funding. So that's what I've done. I put up my own content. I didn't think nothing of it. And I've had some success with the film. So I feel there, there might be a backlash between, because it's so accessible to put your stuff online, there might be a backlash and people don't need their own, they don't need uh, to get commissioned. Yeah. They can just do it themselves. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, because I, I think there's probably, you could make yeah. quite a strong argument that people are making stuff, but it's not in the mainstream. You know, yeah. all these structural mm. problems that we're identifying in television or publishing, people are just getting on doing it in completely different places yeah. or in music or underground filmmaking. Is that, yeah. is, is that, do we think that's true? Yeah, I think it's just the mainstream. I feel like that could be a problem in the future in terms of people losing money because YouTube, everything's kind of accessible on YouTube, so... It's 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 quite hard to fight, but I feel we still need mainstream media so the masses can see like people's work. So I feel hopefully in the future, as you said, Black Panther was a game changer. But I feel that's an old story. I feel that I feel like I knew that story from when I was younger, but it just hasn't been told. And there's so many filmmakers like that 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 need to be taught, telling their stories. I think yeah. that's a good point. Though, that yeah. If you did that yourself. You know, you put this thing out, you didn't have any funding for it. If uh, all we're talking about all these big publishers, they're just businesses, they're yeah. not benefactors in any way. So if you, even though they kind of seem like a closed group that, from my perspective, they don't really want to know unless you from a, a higher class. If you just do it on your own and big, yeah. uh, get a big enough demand, then they'll just want you. Yeah. And they don't care whether actually you're working class mm. or not. They just think, do you look like a giant pound sign? Mm. And if you do, yeah. we'll have you. Yeah. And as artists, do you feel a responsibility to write and make work about these issues and to be identified in that way? Do you think that, is that important or is that something you... Well, I mainly write science fiction. So um, that's another thing. But the um, kind of the way that I've approached it is that with the, the two books that I've written, one of which is coming out later this year, um, the second of which is coming out later this year, I, did, I set out that I want, wanted to write science fiction um, written from the point of view of the people who cleaned the Death Star. <laughs> um, because even, even space has a north. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of, I've gone and I've created a world in which there are, you know, there's a very clear stratified class structure with robots, robots at the top and, and, hum and humans at the bottom. Everybody lives and works in a kind of strange sort of council estate um, environment, and they go, they, they go, they go between between that and the, the robot world. And I think if you you have permission as a writer to explore those things, 
it's a matter of letting a uh, matter of letting yourself i think kerry can i ask you because i mean you you just now have such a very high profile as a spokesperson around Claire's celebrities. Claire's really overselling me, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm really it's not. super nice of her, but she really is. But, I, but I'm interested in how comfortable you are with that. Because, you know, you're writing, not only are you writing about very personal experiences of lots of multiple difficult things, but you're now doing that in a very public way and you're campaigning and you're speaking up for certain things. And I wonder what that feels like. And if you, is that and whether or not you're thinking about what you do next and how, or how you might now in this position do even more. Kind yeah. of. Um, I, so I, I totally, like, there's no responsibility if you come from a working class background to write about working class issues. Everyone, like nobody's here to a middle class person. You better only write about brie wheels and tennis games. So why should we, so why should we only write about flat caps and whippets, you know? But um, for me personally, as a working class woman who was continually told in all sorts of ways that I should just shut up, it's absolutely amazing to have a platform where I get to even a little bit influence things or change things or speak up or speak for people who are not able to at the moment. Mm. Um, it's such a privilege for me, so I will never stop doing it. It's not, it's, it's definitely like something that I'm <laughs> still adjusting to. Um, I don't have any privacy or any secrets anymore. <laughs> but I also, you know, I live in a rented studio with my husband and my cat, you know, and, um, you know, I still do, I still add up all my shopping as I go through the supermarket. So I'm not, you know, I'm still, I still feel like very much part of that world too. So, um, but what a privilege is what I think. And I really think that um, having that little bit of power is, um, is, is a very tiny thing you can do when, you know, Britain is basically like a bonfire that we're just toasting our marshmallows on at the moment, so. <laughs> <laughs> and on that image, I'm going, to, I'm going to open the floor for questions. Um, if you have a question, do you want to put your hand up? Because I guess we've got microphones. Yes, we've got microphones. There's a, two people over here. If we start at the person with the scarf. Sorry, the lights are slightly in my eyes. I can't, I can see a hand, but not the body. There's a lady, I think it's a lady behind you, and then we'll come to you. Hi, um, that was all, all of those contributions were brilliant. Thank you very much. And I think they're long overdue and there can't be enough of it, really. I think the real concern at the moment to me is how we've become, with the inequality in this country that has, as everyone said, increased, we've started to other people, you know, mm. We've looked at people who are different from us, and that's amplified by the echo chambers we're all in with, um, you know, the social media. Um, I'm trying to avoid the bonfire analogy because it's too accurate for, you know, to, to think about. But what does the panel think about maybe their contribution about us having to go faster and further very quickly to try and break down the walls that are coming up with... Uh, yes, amplified by social media, but really coming up through things like Brexit, the referendum, uh, inequality. Uh, you know, we, we all have started to sort of hate each other. And I think there's a real job for you lot as artists and writers and great communicators in this. I don't want to put too much pressure on you. I'm just interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Isn't it interesting how people tend to hang social problems around the neck of, necks of artists? I was going to take a slightly different... Let me try no. to vote you in a different way, because I was... I, very interesting question. But in chaos, in the bonfire mm. world, I'm an optimist. There are always opportunities, aren't there? So is, is this great watershed, difficult moment actually an opportunity to push through with some new things around who does get to lead the narrative or the narratives we hear? 
I'm Do we a, see opportunity as well as...? I'm a fellow optimist, so I see, yes. <laughs> I think um, Project Twister, which is obviously Joseph Rowan Tree Foundation uh, project, is a really good example of that, where they're actually um, telling the narratives of people with lived experience with empathy. Mary O'Hara, who ran it when I, I interviewed her for a piece I did, and she said, I just want to engender empathy. We know that stats work, but they only work so far, and actually what we need to do is remind people that we're all human. Um, one of the examples I give to, to one of the things that I've stopped doing since I wrote the book is I worked for an AIDS charity. It's now defunct, so I can say it. And one of my colleagues, I, he actually, he was, he was my subordinate, my subordinate, <laughs> um, got off the phone from talking to a supporter. So it was an AIDS charity that helped people with the effects of poverty um, because of um, AIDS diagnosis. And he put it on the phone, ugh, they sounded like the sort of person who grew up in a council estate. <gasps> and, it, like, astounding, right? And what is amazing is that I just sat there with my heart thumping and let him say it. I, didn't, I said, what sort of person is that? And then I just, and then I was just quiet. And so what I, we, I think we have a responsibility to challenge classism in the same way that we would challenge any other sort of prejudice. And we have to be really overt about that because unfortunately it's not just right-wingers. It is actually, you know, quite liberal people who have just never had any experience of poverty or communities who live in poverty, so who have these sort of twisted ideas. I think there's a lot of divide and conquer and turn an enemy, like making us against each other, so we don't recognise the real enemy that's uh, the real reason for the austerity and the poverty. I think there's a lot of that, but I think instead of turn on each other, we can use it as an opportunity to sort of get together and communicate better. And I think writing and art's a good way of doing that, uh, bridging the gaps and communicating. I think we're running the risk at the moment of putting a lot of pressure on artists to almost get party political all the time with their work. Um, I, I go on social media a lot and I know, like what you said, there is this like, um, well, you, you, yeah, because of the algorithms, basically you tend to only see people who appear to have the same views as you. And that is obviously a huge disaster because then when you meet someone in the real world that has a different opinion, I see this all the time where people seem so surprised. How could you even think that? Just because they, they've forgotten that people do have all these different opinions. Oh, interesting. So empathy is great, but I suppose you've got to experience things to be able to have empathy. And if we're siloed and othering each other and in our own little worlds, that's going to be even harder, isn't it? Is tech doing this? I'm looking at you because I think you might know this. <laughs> is, is, tech, is tech a part of this in terms of how it is... And how... how what the, we see. In yeah, I mean, there's kind of stuff like, select, stuff like selection bias and algorithms and stuff like that. Kind of to, to keep it kind of on art, because, you know, the, I think that there's, there's an opportunity, but there's also a danger of kind of expecting artists to do things like always inspire. Mm. Um, because life isn't always inspirational. Mm. Um, I, think, I think that's one thing. And then you do get these situations whereby stuff like what happens with the, with the like what happened, um, what happened when you were describing in, in what happened in Hull, whereby, okay, we've got this problem, mm. so we'll try and uh, we'll try and get art 
to solve it. And then there you go. But, mm, it's a bit more complex than that. And there are, you there are lots of- an awful of, failure as yeah. well when you haven't achieved it. There are lots, lots of really knotty social problems that kind of only things like policy or to be frank, money can fix. Yeah. And yeah. you know, writing an inspirational narrative over the top of it is the equivalent of a live, laugh, love decal. <laughs> it's lovely, but what does it change? Mm, very interesting. Do we have more questions? Hi, so I just wanted to pick up the point about social mobility. And um, there is a massively uh, influential narrative that is told over and over again, this idea that if you try hard enough, you can get out of your situation. The American dream epitomises that. And I was just wondering um, how you think, I mean, do you think there's a risk in kind of your, your su success, Kerry, and your, like, um, I'm obviously going to see a lot of success in this panel, that, that now you, you inadvertently reinforce that narrative? Because I remember listening to Dara McGarvey, uh, who wrote Poverty Safari, and he talks about the story that's not told, all the support and help he's had by, you know, from others. And I just wonder, how can we create stories that bring in that wider context? And I think Akala in Natives talks about personal responsibility exists within a context. But often that context isn't a character in the story, unless it's like a really gritty, depressing thing. And I just wonder, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to see kind of what Black Panther has done, like a, a kind of fiction um, story or, or film mainstream film that really does that that really does start to shift thinking around that dominant self-makingness narrative um, I say I say in my book and I genuinely mean this there was nothing there's nothing special about me and I'm really really upfront about that and I say it in every single interview just because I'm frightened of being appropriate by the Tories who hold me up as an example of pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps, which isn't what happened. I just got lucky. That's what happened. I met some good people. I was able to get the dole. I know we're talking about why a lot of working class art was made in the 80s and 90s. I think it's because the welfare system for young creatives was still actually at least a little bit supportive. Um, but I'm really, really careful to say it all the time. Um, and also, it's just not acceptable. One person from a whole community uh, managing to pull them. I mean, even the term pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is, um, is revolting. But um, it's just not acceptable, you know. And it's a way of, um, of, you know, sort of isolating and disenfranchising whole communities and totally, like, um, looking away from all the structural issues that contribute to that. It's a... It's a way of like uh, washing your hands of any accountability, I think. Um, so all I can do is, is constantly say all the time, this is, this is not like a social mobility story. This is a thank God I got a few lucky break story. Thanks, this is really interesting. And the Common People book is fantastic. Lowborn on the radio was fantastic. It's just that there is, you know, there's obviously some sort of change at the moment I'm worried about whether it is a fashion, you know, in the media for all sorts of reasons. But I'm also interested in another bit of this process that um, to what extent, for example, Wally and, um, and uh, those involved with common people are feeling that as makers of art and as writers and, for example, the people who were involved in your film, that you're feeling empowered by this process of being involved in the art. You know, did... did, did, did do you feel that something's changed for you as people who identify as working class that is going to enable you to, to achieve more than you might have done had you not been involved in these pro projects? 
platform um, and finally being read and being listened to it I think it's um, helped us develop as a writer and a person as well just through giving us a confidence that I might ne never have had be it to do with my class or any other reason but I definitely think it's it's a it's a positive change and one that will last for and far outlive any trend in working class literature or anything like that. Oh, yeah, it's definitely given me the confidence to, to make more art and create more film because I feel like not everyone's got my story and I feel the people that really understand my story will resonate with that. So I feel there'll be more filmmakers making more independent films releasing stuff online until we're loud enough to, to get some sort of partnership with the mainstream media. That's how I feel about that, yeah. I think that's a lovely um, place to end, actually. Our time is up, I'm afraid. It's gone very quickly. Um, it's been so, such a pleasure hearing from you all, and thank you for all those different thoughts and ideas and views. Hopefully this is just the start. Um, and it's going to be the start, well it's not really the start, but it, everyone here is on a journey, some are just starting journeys, others are two, three books in and films in. I think there'll be more to come from all of you that's going to be really exciting. So thank you, and thank you for being part of the panel today. Mm -hmm.